Hello and welcome to Screen Facts with Jason Davis. This is episode 13 and I am joined in the studio by a good friend of mine for the first time and I'm very excited to welcome him to the podcast, Brian Berkowitz. Hello, my friend. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. Very excited and looking forward to this. I am too. And um, before we even get into the stuff about the movie, I just want to let everybody know kind of our history a little bit. You know, Absolutely. So uh, you and I met probably about 30 years ago. Definitely a long time ago. I'll give, yeah. I'll give you that. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the things that helped us become good friends right away was that we're both really big Kiss fans. Absolutely. Uh, and we all and we grew up listening to a lot of the same music. And, and as it turns out, we're also into a lot of the same movies. So uh, so that'll work really well for the podcast. No, that's good. Yeah, but you and I, definitely, I'll say you and I have been friends definitely more than 20 years, probably less than 30, but that's a long time. I don't know. Well, let's think about this a minute. So it's 2015. 30 years ago is 1985. So I was 15 then. I don't think I knew you then. So. It's pretty close though, because you and I uh, couldn't get couldn't get into the bars with anybody else. I know, with I know, your but brother and, his, and their friends. Yeah, right? I think I'm a couple of years older than you. But you and I went to see Vinnie Vincent Invasion. What year was that? Uh, that was let me see. That was that album came out summer of. 88. Oh, okay. So it was probably 88, 89. You know, in my head, I'm thinking for some reason that those albums came out a little earlier, but maybe I'm thinking of the first Vinnie Vincent Invasion record. Hey, that's a sign of a true friendship. We don't have to think exactly how long you've been <laughs> Yeah, other, it's, close right? en- it's close enough. It's pretty close to 30 years. But one of the things about you that's kind of unique is that you used to be a rocker. I did used to be a rocker. That's 100% correct. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your history playing guitar. Now, Brian Berkowitz, no offense, not exactly a rock star name. 100%. (laughs) So tell the listening audience what you uh, used to call yourself when you played in the band. So Brian Berkowitz was certainly not going to do it. You know, now probably I could have been in Marilyn Manson with the name of Brian Berkowitz. But, (laughs) uh, you know, 1980s, it wasn't a perfect name. Right. So... um, it ended up being Brian Blaze, which is something that's always kind of been a good thing between you and I. You right. took to Brian, the name Brian Blaze better than anybody. Oh, I, I love it. It's perfect. Perfect rock star name. Yeah, it certainly worked. And I always wanted to keep the BB, which was important to me. Right. And I'll go even more in details. When I used to sign my name, I'd make the A in Brian and Blaze a star. Oh, nice. So it was, uh, it really, it really worked out well. Now when I sign my name, I just kind of do like a quick chimp and I'm done with it. <laughs> That's because that's what all adults do, right? 100%. So since I met you and knew you as Brian Blaze, you were always Blazer to me. Right, and I've always appreciated that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, when I hadn't seen you in years, right. and I we went to see a show, I ran into you to show, right. I think one of the things you said to me is, is it all right if I call you Blazer? And I was like, Jay, I was hoping you'd call me Blazer. <laughs> I wouldn't expect anything else. It's funny how things stick, right? Yeah, no, that's that's a uh, good name. It certainly had nothing to do with my ability as a guitar player because that certainly wasn't blazing. But it, like I said, it was a good rock star name and certainly better than Brian Berkowitz. Hey, you know what? It was a fun time back then. It was it was awesome. The '80s were great, and anybody who was lucky enough to grow up during that time, uh, you know, we got it made. Definitely. Yeah, we, we certainly had a lot of fun. We could probably do a two-hour podcast talking about that. Absolutely. We are going to talk about a movie from the 80s. In fact, you've been listening to the podcast, which I really appreciate. Thanks. And uh, you had suggested this movie for the podcast. And I said, hey, why don't you do the podcast with me? We'll talk about this movie. And the movie is Night Shift. Now, this movie, by the way, was not a huge box office hit, surprisingly, because it's a great movie. This is a movie, one of those movies that kind of got its its legs on cable after it came out and stuff. Watching this movie again, <laughs> it just brought me right back, and I, and, I, and I love seeing it again. I'll tell you something about this movie. So this movie came out, as you said, in 1982. Now, my mom, who is about as cool as possible, and she'll be very happy that I mentioned her on this, took me to see this movie in 1982. So I was 11... 
I turned 12 in 1982. <laughs> so for, you know, this is a little bit of a risque movie, risque subject matter. You know, but my mother realized that putting her 11-year-old son in the movie theater wasn't going to kill him or scar him for life. Right. But this movie basically changed my entire sense of humor. <laughs> I, I, I discovered a whole new level of humor, mostly through Michael Keaton in the movie. Okay. And uh, if, I, if I could jump back to what we were talking about before, right. <laughs> the name Brian Blaze was taken directly from Michael Keaton's character, Billy Blazejowski. You'll remember in the movie he said, but you can call me Billy Blaze. That is 100% where I got the name Brian Blaze from. Not only did this movie change my sense of humor, but it changed my name. I never knew that. All the years that I've known you and have been calling you Blazer, I had no idea that it was because of this movie. And I didn't even remember that until I, we discussed doing this. And I was like, oh my God, this is where I got the name Brian Blaze from. <laughs> there you go. So, so you're like now coming full circle. Yeah, this movie really is ingrained in my sense of humor and in my life. And I mean, watching the movie again, I sat verbatim, knew every line to it. So I can't think of a better movie to talk about with you. And I'm very thankful that you invited me to oh, do it absolutely. with you today. I'm psyched. Let's talk about Night Shift. All right, Night Shift released July 30th, 1982, directed by Ron Howard. I actually thought this was his directorial debut, but he did one other movie before this, uh, Grand Theft Auto. And he did some TV movies. Of course, Ron Howard has done a ton of amazingly successful movies. Splash, Cocoon, Gung-Ho, Willow, Backdraft, Parenthood, Apollo 13, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, A Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man, and Da Vinci Code, among others. So he's had a, quite a track record of success. And let's not forget, he was Richie Cunningham. Oh, please. This guy, he was a successful child actor. Opie. Then, Opie uh, on uh, Andy Griffith. And then he was a big success on Happy Days. And then he's had this great career as a director. So, you know, and, definitely a charmed guy. And by the way, not to change topics, but I've mm -hmm. recently watched a bunch of episodes of Happy Days, and I could still sit through them. A lot of the shows from my childhood... I cannot sit through. Speaking of happy days and night shift, who else do we have in this movie? Henry Winkler. And that's the great thing about his role in this movie, too. Henry Winkler was the coolest guy on the planet when he played the Fonz, right? In this movie, he's the biggest nebbish. He's, he's like the biggest wimp. And that just shows how great of an actor he is, because he can do both so well. You know, they said with happy days, Gary Marshall had sent his casting director to cast role of Arthur Fonzarelli mm -hmm. and he expected to come back with uh, this big Svengali of a guy when Henry Winkler walked in I once read somewhere that he was like are you kidding me for this role so yeah. it's, it's actually very interesting to talk about Henry Winkler yeah and um, this is Michael Keaton's first starring role in a movie it's his big breakthrough role and Shelley Long from Cheers was also in this movie and the movie is written by uh, a couple of people that have done a lot of successful movies too Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel I love those names unbelievable yeah they wrote Splash Spies Like Us City Slickers Gung-Ho Parenthood a League of Their Own, and some other movies. And, and they've actually worked with Ron Howard a number of times on movies. And they also worked on Happy Days with Ron and Henry Winkler. So uh, this movie was filmed November of 1981 to March of 1982. It grossed $28.6 million in the U.S. Like I said, wasn't a big box office success, thanks to HBO and other cable channels. It's, I think, where most people found it and discovered how great it is. One of the things that I noticed about this movie when I was watching it Movies from the 70s and probably early 80s, all of them had a theme song, right? And then throughout the movie, between scenes, there would always be that theme as an instrumental. Night Shift by Quarter Flash, right? right? <laughs> exactly. It, it, it was the segue into all the different scenes on it. Yeah. No, and that's actually a really good song. I've been humming it to myself all, <laughs> all day. 
You know, what I noticed about this movie, so we're talking early 80s um, New York City, which I'm going to refer to as a pre-Giuliani New York City. (laughs) Right. What a difference. I I noticed that too. Between the uh, Times Square with the sex shops and the uh, movies, the subway cars with the graffiti, you forget what New York City used to look like. It's not the Disney New York City we know now. Exactly. I thought that was a big contrast and it really kind of took me back. And, you know, usually you talk about seeing things in movies where like people are smoking all the time in movies. You don't see that anymore. Right. But I did notice particularly that this was not uh, the New York City that's pictured in my brain anymore. This is the New York City of the 70s and the 80s. I love watching movies from the 80s just because it instantly takes you, it just transports you right back to that time. It was really great watching this movie over and over again between watching it and checking out the clips on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Really, uh, you you forget how funny this movie is. There's two people in this movie that if you blink, you're going to miss, but it's kind of cool to see them. I assume that you're talking about, let's see, the first one is Shannon Doherty, right? Correct. And I'll admit... I could not find Kevin Costner. You miss Kevin Costner. I know he was in the movie. Yep. I, I could not find him. I might have even recognized him in a prior viewing, but I could not. <laughs> it, was a, it was a blink you missed it, as you're saying. And I could not find him. And I looked for it and then said, all right, I'll move, I'll move on. The reason you might have missed him is because he doesn't really have a speaking role. He plays one of the frat boys. And the interesting thing about the frat, too, is that it's the same frat from Animal House, Delta Tau Kai, which is on the wall, which I, I don't know if they kind of snuck that in there, or just a coincidence, but... That's interesting. Didn't also, I don't know if I knew if this is correct or not, that John Belushi had actually been considered for the Michael Keaton's role in this movie. That is correct. He turned it down. And Drew Barrymore's mom, Jade, plays one of the hookers, too. <laughs> so, you know, you, you wonder about a, mo- a movie like this. You know, you talk about these brilliant writers. Who comes up with the idea... Of becoming pimps and working out of the city morgue. The I'm sorry, I'm going to stop you right yeah. there for a minute. Not pimps, because pimps is a really negative word. Love brokers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everything about this movie is great. And everything you read about it, everything you know, and I bet if you asked him himself, Michael Keaton was outstanding oh, in this so movie. Funny. From the first second he walks in, <laughs> as Billy Blazjowski walks in, hey, you must be Chuck, right? Nice shoes. <laughs> You know, something about that is hysterical and nothing will ever beat the line in the movie when he says, who's that, your wife? Fiance. And and you know what the proper response was? Nice frame. Nice frame. (laughs) I love that. You know, I was concerned that this would be me sitting here quoting Michael Keaton's lines throughout the podcast. That's fine, man. And, uh, you know, that that may happen on it. That's um, fine. It really... uh, That's the side of a good movie where just thinking about it, I'm getting hysterical. Oh, absolutely. I just watched it a couple of days ago to prepare for the podcast and just, I loved it. I just loved watching it again. Michael Keaton is so good in this movie. And everything you read, no matter what they say, good, bad, or indifferent about the movie, they're saying this was the breakout role for Michael Keaton. Oh, absolutely. Nobody could have played that role like he did. No, he was great. And I love, he's an idea man and he's got the tape recorder and he's got all these great ideas. (laughs) Edible paper to eliminate waste. Put mayonnaise in the can of tuna. Right. And then he goes, wait, hold the phone, Chuck. Feed the tuna mayonnaise. And you know what the next line of that is? It's sort of my favorite. Oh, this is great. Call Starkist. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, there really were were no shortage of great lines. And I'll go back one more on him and then we can talk about it some more. When he first walks in and he says, would you like a tour of the place? And he says to Chuck, Michael Keaton says, hey, Chuck, who's this Carboni guy? Is he our boss? And uh, Henry Winkler's character says, no, he's our supervisor. And as they're standing over the dead body, he says, nah, get out of town. Just me, you, and the stiffs here alone at night? That's going to be radical. That guy's dead. I mean, right there. How do you get a funnier line than that in that movie? Well, we call them corpses. Right. We call them them corpses. Oh, so good. 
there were two appearances supposedly of Ron Howard in this movie, little cameos. One of them that said he was the uh, the saxophone player that was annoying uh, Henry Winkler on the subway. I don't think that was him, actually. When no. I watched the movie, it didn't look like him. However, he and his real-life wife, Cheryl, were the couple making out in front of uh, Chuck's apartment I building. did notice that last night, and what threw me off on is that Ron Howard's hair was a little long in that. Right. So when you're looking at him, but then the red hair sticks out. Right. Actually, more on his wife than on him, but right. you realize clearly that's Ron Howard. So uh, you mentioned before that John Belushi Belushi was offered the role of Billy Blaze, but he turned it down. Kurt Russell and Mickey Rourke also auditioned for that role. If you can imagine that. I can't imagine anybody other than Michael Keaton in that role. Yeah, no, he's, he's so good. Michael Keaton actually would get into character. Uh, what he would do is he would blast Bruce Springsteen's 10th Avenue freeze out to get psyched up for a scene. It's funny that Shelley Long had such a great role in this. Now, this was right before Cheers for her. Is that right? Yes. Cheers, I think, started in 84, right? And yeah, she was fantastic, and she was so good in that, you almost forget that this is the Shelley Long that played Diane in Cheers. Right. It was such a... Uh, I, I don't know which one is against cast, but it really wasn't. Right. In my mind, she's you know Diane from Cheers, and here she's Belinda Keaton. She really was fantastic, and I spent so much of my youth watching this movie over again, dwelling on how great Michael Keaton is. You forget there were stellar performances from Henry Winkler, mm -hmm. from her. I mean, the movie, besides great lines, great one-liners, one it really is just a great, not a family movie, no. but a great <laughs> fun movie. Yeah. You know, it's, it's actually relatively tame, you know, by today's standards, even though it's about hookers and, uh, you know, pimps and all that kind of stuff. I agree. And it probably would have gotten a PG-13 rating. I'm, right. I'm assuming it must have been rated R at the time. I'm thinking that it probably was because it had some language. If you said fuck in a movie back then, it was an R rating almost immediately. Except for Big, as, well, I, as exactly. I learned from your last podcast. Exactly. But Big Big came out a few years later in the PG-13 era. But uh, yeah, back in the day before PG-13, if you said fuck in a movie, that was like an instant R pretty much. Talking about a Ron Howard movie, we always have to talk about what's the consistent in every Ron Howard movie, his brother, Clint, Clint Howard. Clint Howard, exactly. And if, and if you remember during the fraternity scene in the movie, when Henry Winkler tries to get all the guys in the fraternity to see that they're partying in a morgue, he pulls the, uh, the, drawer, the drawer out and out pops Clint Howard and a naked woman in the in there with him. That's right. And again, so you got to figure that alone probably yeah, could have gotten the R rating. rating. For sure, definitely. Okay, so we were talking before about the theme song that was kind of like the segue between all the scenes. That was for the first half of the movie. Then the second half of the movie, the reoccurring theme is That's What Friends Are For. <laughs> the song that became a hit a couple of years later for Dionne Warwick and her friends, uh, Gladys Knight, Elton John, and Stevie Wonder. Was this the Rod Stewart version this of this is movie? The, this is the Rod Stewart version. But the instrumental is the song that takes you from scene to scene for the second half of the movie. And it's funny, some of the things I read really divided the movie into two parts. In other yeah. words, a lot of the things we're saying, there was, uh, I guess, an act one or an act two of the movie. Most of the stuff I remembered was from the first half of the movie. Right. You forget the part where he's driving in the car. It had the Trans Am sticker on top of it. <laughs> um, if you looked at the dashboard, gold, the floor, fur, the windows, glass but we can see out and they can't see in That's right. we got naked girls in here you know the other thing is when he hits the uh the button to show him how the trunk release works right. those papers start flying out right. and i'm thinking to myself what papers can he possibly have that could fly out of the car exactly so of course that probably would never happen for real though i don't think you can pop open your trunk when the car is moving but I'm driving guess... an suv for so long i don't even know what it's like to have a trunk anymore yeah, to find out if there's anybody that could have a trunk that pops open while you're driving it's billy blaze for sure absolutely <laughs> Um, you know, it's funny, a couple of things you notice about Billy Blaze, too. When Chuck goes to his house to tell him that 
there'll be love brokers. Yeah. It says uh, Blaze Land USA on the door. Right. And I believe it says the limo says when, when he takes Clint Howard to his like the prom or the something prom or whatever yeah. it is. It says uh, Billy Blaze or limo service or car service on it. So, right. uh, and if you see, he takes the hat and puts it on top of it to cover up the uh, red light of the hearse. Yeah, I love that. And he, and he puts the magnet over the uh, the city morgue sticker on the side of the car. And then he asks, hey, kid, you like music? <laughs> they probably blew a lot of the budget getting uh, permission to do uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash. I was just thinking about that also. Probably cost him a fortune. Yeah, there have been a couple of other movies that I've talked about on the podcast that wanted to use Rolling Stones songs, but they couldn't because it just cost too much. Near the end of the movie, Billy Blaze becomes a towel boy at this you know exclusive gentleman's club, right? And there's an exchange between him and the boss of the place, Mr. Minetti. The guy who plays the boss, Joe Spinell, was Rocky's loan shark boss, uh, Gazzo. You know, it's funny. Of all the facts I know about the movie, I did not know that. And now I'm sitting here saying, how did I not know that? How did I you mean, miss that, right? That, that's, that's perfect. That, that's funny. And that was a great part of the movie also. Yeah. What did he call him? A jagoff? He calls him a jagoff. And this is another thing I didn't realize until I read it. That's uh, apparently something that's regional. Okay. Jagoff was something that, that came from Michael Keaton's hometown right outside of Pittsburgh. Okay. And I, and I never knew that. I just thought it was like, you know, a variation of Jackoff. No, me too. And, and uh, he said, who said that? I don't know. It must have been the parrot. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the best parts of this movie, the things I looked at on YouTube before coming in here, mm -hmm. um, again, Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, Michael <laughs> Keaton. So, I mean, every one of his lines was delivered with conviction. <laughs> You almost wonder if they were sitting around saying, "Is this guy stealing the movie from us?" Because I mean, oh. although he was, you know, he was the star of the movie with Henry Winkler, mm -hmm. they played off well with each other. Mm -hmm. Henry Winkler's a great straight man to him. Oh, he was fantastic. And he's so straightforward and straight laced, and he's like so over the top. You, you know? know, and a good a good way to kind of see how the two are juxtaposed from each other is if you watch the beginning of the movie when um, he comes to work the night shift. He opens up his locker, Henry Winkler. Yeah. He pulls the plant first. He takes all the garbage off the desk. Right. He pulls a plant out. He puts a picture of his of his fiance. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure the other picture must be his mother. Probably. And um, exactly. he sharpens a pencil. He's got those balls that can hit each other. Right. And um, you said nebbish. Everything you read about that describes him as a nebbishy character. You wonder which is the true Henry Winkler. Is it the Fonz or is it Chuck? I'm sure it's not the Fonz because how could anybody pull that off in real no, life? Nobody could be that cool. One of my favorite lines in the movie also is when their boss's um, nephew is leaving and he's watching TV and he's watching the Flintstones and he <laughs> says, boy, that Barney Rubble, what an actor. What an an actor <laughs> and he that says, guy hey. is such an idiot and he and he always leaves his garbage and uh and then any he... <laughs> name of the deceased something polish, something polish. <laughs> and he always leaves work too like uh yeah there's some uh, paperwork there's some bodies in the wrong drawers but my my uncle said you take care of it <laughs> right i'll take care of it but yeah but again it really shows the transition of chuck in the beginning of the movie as the nebbish because remember right. bill's mission in life was to make chuck a man that's right he put it on the recorder make right. chuck a man now that was after he said this is chuck to remind bill to shut, shut up. up to right. shut up to shut up you know shut up right that's that's the, it's funny every time i've ever watched this i always remember the last one is just the word shut up <laughs> and actually i think if one of the goofs you read about online about this movie is that his finger wasn't actually on any of the buttons yeah playing they say or that, recording you know, it. but whatever you can't expect everything yeah exactly how about the scene when um belinda comes over to his apartment and she cooks him breakfast, and she takes off her robe, and she's like half naked. And they can't open the window because it's painted shut. And that's as he right. says, makes sense because that's where the fire escape is. Right, exactly. And then, like, you know, he starts getting all hot and bothered looking at her, and he tries his face with a piece of bread. 
that. His uh, fiance calls him, yeah. and as she's taking the robe off, he says, "Oh my God!" And she says, "What's the matter?" He says, "I just stepped on a tack." <laughs> Yeah, she was really good, too. Gina Hecht. Giving her a little credit, too, when uh, her and Chuck are uh, trying to get busy in the beginning. And she says, are you excited, Chuck? One of my favorite lines that I use all the time is, like the French when Lindbergh landed. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I can't give all the credit to Michael Keaton. He had a, he had a couple great lines in there. Yeah, also. great writing. You got you to gotta give it up for the writing in this movie, for sure. And, um, you know, I agree. The writing was fantastic. But, again, you could have had two other actors in there, and it could have been nothing. We could be sitting here talking about some other movie right now. Absolutely. Great performance and great direction. Ron Howard, that's the one thing about Ron Howard. I mean, there probably haven't been too many Ron Howard movies, whether they were a box office success or not, that were poor quality. They're all pretty good movies, you know, whether or not they found an audience initially. And, you know, we didn't mention that this was the first time he worked with his partner, Brian Grazier. That's Is right. It, it's Grazier, Grazier. Grazer, Grazer. Brian G., but it was actually yeah. interesting to see that because those guys are the Hollywood powerhouses now. Absolutely. So, I mean, all the, all the movies that I mentioned before that Ron Howard has done since Night Shift, Brian Grazer was the co-producer on. He doesn't do a lot of comedies anymore, though. And he was so good at them. Mm -hmm. You wonder if he's almost gotten too serious in the roles he's taken or who knows. But this is really his first major motion picture. Mm -hmm. And I think he fired on all cylinders when he did it. Oh, absolutely. Now, Jason, listen, anybody of your fans, which I happen to be one of them, that is listening to this podcast is sitting here right now wondering when are we going to get to the blackboard scene <laughs> when the girls come in and Billy Blazjowski writes out the word prostitution on the board because what are we talking about here <laughs> prostitution sometimes it helps when you break a word down <laughs> frost two which doesn't really belong in this word tit to tit shun to push away to say no <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make sense at all but it, but it, you know yeah. i can't i can't deliver it as funny but it's making me laugh it's making you laugh and i hope your listeners are going to laugh about that too absolutely because you know why shouldn't we quote other people's lines and take credit for making uh, them laugh of course of course absolutely um, i love when he's taking the tissues and making muscles so right. so he can intimidate all the uh the tricks right puts them down his pants afterwards and, <laughs> yeah uh, to impress you, the girls and you know when he walks in he pulls a corn dog out of his pocket that's right and he throws it in the microwave and i think the, as the scene fades out you hear him go corn dog <laughs> Which are delicious, by the I, way. You know, I have to. I have to agree. Sometimes when I take my kids, like Nathan's in the mall, yeah, have the corn dog bites, or I would, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, I could order some of those too. I never do. I'm not daring enough, but I, I am a fan also. <laughs> Listening to your podcast and hearing all these things on here, it's made me want to watch a lot more movies. So this movie is sacred to me, and I'm, you know, I'm hoping a lot of people are going to hear this and they're going to say, let me revisit this movie because or let me check it out for the first time. Maybe it, it makes me laugh, and it's very funny to be talking about with you. <laughs> You know, I have been made fun of by many of my friends for walking out of almost every movie I've seen and going, oh, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. And I think you and I discussed, I don't need much from a movie. I need to be able to sit down for a couple hours, tune the rest of the world out, enjoy myself, be entertained. And I don't need to be moved. I don't need to, to see something that I've never seen before. Sure, I love a great movie that comes out where there are things like, oh, my God, this is the movie that the whole world is going to love. But I tend to like every movie I see, and I'm, pro I'm probably a good person people could market to, because I do, yeah. I, I enjoy, I mean, I've had a few movies I haven't enjoyed, but I don't even think I can name movies that I haven't enjoyed. You know, there's always going to be some that leave you a little wanting more or whatever, but I'm the same way. 
I rarely agree with critics. I'm a big fan of Entertainment Weekly magazine. I've been reading yes, it for years. For some reason, when they give a movie a B plus, mm -hmm. to me, that's tuned to what I like. And I tend to love the movies that they give a B plus to. And you also have to think about critics. I work all day. You work all day. When I go to the movies, it's to relax. These guys are going to work when they go to the movies. If they're going to write down that every movie is the greatest thing in the world, you know, if everybody liked the same thing, it would probably be a pretty boring world. And we'd have, probably have some pretty boring movies. I agree. And But I think the, the one thing also about critics, whether it's movie critics, music critics, or whatever, is they're coming from a place of not not a fan they're coming you know i'm paid to do this like you said i do this for a living so i see all these movies that i have to sit through but it's funny that you and i are having this conversation about critics because one of the things that you and i both agree on is kiss a band that has been panned by the critics mm -hmm. forever and you know it's one of those things if you don't get it you never will so that's right we can't give all this um credibility to critics because you know what most critics don't like something that's very important to both of us absolutely all right, Brian. So at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about your days as a rocker. What do you do these days? Oh, thanks. Well, in that trying to be a rock star never really worked out for me. I ended up going to law school. So I'm a lawyer. I have a um, law practice in Rockland County, New York, doing criminal defense. Majority of my practice is uh, DWI defense. Mm -hmm. um, anybody in the New York area wants to ever reach out to me, my website is www.berklaw.com. Certainly, if I could be of any help to anybody in your listening audience, criminal defense, DWI defense, traffic ticket defense, certainly would be glad to speak to them. Well, thanks for coming down here and doing this with me. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast, especially because I know you you dig the podcast, which I, I really appreciate. I'm a huge fan. It's funny, as close as we've been over the years, I haven't seen you in a long time. So I know. It happens. Life it, gets in the way. Absolutely. Sometimes. But it was definitely worth hopping in the car and coming to the Garden State. Cool. I'm glad that we got the chance. Thank you. Hope to be invited back. Absolutely. And, um, Consider yourself invited back. Because you see, Jason, I'm an idea man. <laughs> I can't wait for the next one, actually. We have to figure out what we're going to do next. Hey, if you have anything that you want to add to the conversation about Night Shift, or if you want to give us some feedback about the podcast, you can email me at screenfacts at yahoo.com. You can also rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. Please do that because when you do that, it helps other people find this fine institution that is Screen Facts with Jason Davis. Uh, also, you can check out my website, jasondavisvoice.com slash podcast for information about all the places that you can get this thing and also information about Screen Facts t-shirts if you want to order one. Thanks for listening. Brian, thanks again for coming in. Blazer. Thanks for having me here, Jason. All right. Join me again next Wednesday for more Screen Facts with Jason Davis.